as always, a big thank you to Myra Green for her music, her composition, Passing Places. You can find out more about Myra Green and her music at myragreen.com or pop onto my own website, bonnytours.com, and follow her story from there. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Passing Places. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. And if you're new to Passing Places, I see every week it's my personal diaries of my travels around Scotland, mainly by motorhome, but also by motorcycle, and with some hill walking thrown in for good measure. So in this week's episode, I'll give you a quick run-through of my uh, 10 days or so on the Mull of Kintyre. It's an area that's been covered in the podcast many times before, so I won't go into the level of detail I normally do. I'll give you a little bit of an update on one or two things that are in my mind since I was last on the microphone. And I just wanted to, given that I will probably talk about uh, stargazing and astronomy, give you a little bit of thought or a bit more detail on why I keep mentioning astronomy. And that's probably the, the focus of this week's episode. So if you listened to the last episode, you heard the interview with Glenn Moyer, and he arrives in Scotland on Thursday, I think. And I had a great conversation with him. I was in the van on the campsite at Moosedale, which is on the west coast of the Mull of Kintyre, with great views over to the island of Gia and Cara. And behind you've got the uh, views of Isla and over to the right, the island of Jura. It's one of my favourite little campsites. And I stayed for three or four days and the weather was pretty reasonable. And there's a fantastic little shop there. The guy opens at, I think, five in the morning or half five in the morning. And he's stocked full of everything you'd ever need, including fresh bread and things. So It's a favourite little site of mine, right on the beach. And there's only 11 or 12 pitches. But I came back down after four or five days to pick my daughter Caitlin up because it was the Easter holidays, the school holidays. And I spent one night on Loch Side at the Camping Caravan Club site at Luss. Pretty uneventful 24 hours. We had some uh, poor weather, some rain came in. And when I talked to Caitlin, I said, look, we've got eight or nine days here. What would you like to do? And she decided that she would like to go to Point Sands, which is uh, another site. It's only 10, 15 minutes further north in the Mullican Tire from Moosedale. So we, <laughs> we headed back another two and a half, three hour journey. Uh, up the side of Loch Lomond and over to Loch Long and up the rest of me thankful and round to Loch Fine and Loch Gilphead and down to Tarbert and arrived at the Point Sands Camping and Caravan Park. And it's a place I go quite often and it's one of my favourites again. It's right on the beach and you've got the same islands, slightly different angle. But fantastic sunsets. It's one of the great things about the Mullican Tires, you get these fantastic sunsets. And you might have seen on the Passing Places group, I spent a bit of time with my neck pointed skyward to watch the International Space Station go over. Posted a little video on the Facebook group. And I also made a video from the beach on one of the mornings, which again is on YouTube. If you type in Kevin Scullion, you'll find it or go on to the Passing Places podcast Facebook group and you'll see the video there. So we had some great uh, weather at Point Sands and I spoke, one of the things that's in my mind, I spoke to the owner of Moosedale, 
a few days before that and I also spoke to the owner of the Point Sands campsite and Moosedale's up for sale, has been for a few years and Point Sands have decided that this is the last season they will take touring motorhomes, caravans and tents. They've decided it's just not economically viable and they've decided to go for static caravans. It's a better business model, a lot less effort and better returns. And we, the final night we were there was the Easter weekend, I think the Friday into the Saturday, and the site suddenly became full. So you had the whole Easter weekend traffic, and it really struck me that whilst the site was full as we left on the Saturday, the road from, the main road up from Campbelltown to Tarbert, and then on to Loch Gilphead, right up the Mull of Kintyre was empty of traffic. And it's just one of these um, situations, and it was a, a discussion I had with both campsite owners, that so many people follow the the main tourist track up Loch Lomondside and head on up through Glencoe, uh, perhaps bare left before Glencoe and head for Oban, or they head on up through Glencoe to Fort William and onwards to Inverness. And the Mull of Kintyre is, I can't stress this enough, a fantastic place to visit. There's so many people who manage over to Inverary on Loch Fine. They might even get down as far as Loch Kilped. The decision, little mini roundabout in Loch Kilped, is a right for Oban to continue back up on to some of the more obvious places to visit, as well as the, the gateway to the islands, which is Oban. But so few people, so... Little traffic takes that left and heads down the Mull of Kintyre. So it's a real hidden gem, particularly on the west coast in terms of the sunsets. And if you head over to the east, the views back to the island of Arne are fantastic. And when you get down to the bottom of the Mull, there are some fantastic beaches all round that uh, coastline from Carradale, right round to Macrahanish. And sadly, Campbelltown, which was once the World Centre for Whiskey. You might have heard the the song Campbellton Loch and Whiskey. It was something like 30-odd distilleries were based in Campbelltown. And there was a regular freight and car ferry over to Ireland, to Northern Ireland. And for all sorts of reasons, those things have stopped and Campbelltown has become a bit of a, a desert. It's been left high and dry in terms of the economy. And I'm sure things have picked up in more recent years. There's been various investment schemes to build wind turbines and different projects. But that road down from Tarbert down to Campbelltown is still empty in terms of traffic, even on a, an Easter bank holiday weekend. So if you get the chance, and you can get to the Mulcantyre, the way I've described by road, but you could also over to Arnon, take the ferry from Loch Ranza over and there's a piloted ferry scheme just now heading out of Adrossen via Brodick and Arnon and on to Campbelltown so you really do make the effort and take the opportunity to visit the Mull of Kintyre and finally in terms of the, the bank holiday weekend this is hardly scientific but I was surprised at the lack of traffic overall I did spend a bit of time coming home on the Saturday which is probably the quietest point in terms of traffic. But I also travelled up and down from Stirling to Glasgow on Bank Holiday Monday around tea time. 
six o'clock time and I didn't see evidence of the heavy traffic I've seen in previous years. So I don't know how well the bank holiday went. The good weather arrived at a very short notice. So whether people didn't book, whether it's still part of the economic climate that people aren't traveling or whether I just didn't notice that it was a busy year. So if you were in Scotland for the weekend and you traveled up from England, I hope you had a great time. The weather was very kind and already things have calmed down again uh, for a few weeks at least before the general summer traffic starts to build up again. So just before we talk about dark skies and International Space Station and Mars and all these other things, and I won't dwell on that too long because I know it's perhaps not necessarily compatible with your own interest in Scotland, but I just wanted to cover it in terms of why it's important to me. A couple of things I just wanted to mention was, uh, I think two episodes ago I mentioned the Commonwealth Games. I was sitting in Maxwell Park down in the south side of Glasgow and I just heard the news about the Red Road Flats, which are one of these dreadful housing developments which was planned in the 60s that they were going to be blown up as a piece of entertainment, a spectacle for the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. Well, you probably, if you heard the episode that... uh, I wasn't uh, keen on the idea at all. So thankfully, many other people signed a petition online. There was quite an uproar about the idea of destroying people's homes for entertainment. And that whole proposal has been cancelled. So common sense prevailed. And the other thing I wanted to mention going back to previous episodes was back on the 1st of January, I was sitting in my bench, well, actually in the car because it was torrential rain, but I'd gone for a wander around Flanders Moss. I mentioned three predictions for the year. Uh, a bit tongue-in-cheek really, or a bit of fun, but uh, one of them, two of them were about astronomy in terms of this week's topic. I was suggesting that it was only a matter of time that this year we would discover an Earth-like planet. And secondly, from our efforts, I say ours, I mean the humanity and that <laughs> rather than me, but the visits to Mars, the Curiosity mission and all these other uh, NASA and European space and Chinese missions and Indian missions are all ongoing. It's a spectacular year and next year for astronomy and for space travel generally. There are so many missions which are out there just now that I said we would inevitably discover an exoplanet that was in the Goldilocks zone. So here's a press conference from last week from NASA that you'll know all about and SETI which is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence so have a listen to this little press release from last week On behalf of the SETI Institute um, the NASA Kepler team and many other collaborators I present to you Kepler 186F This is the first validated Earth-sized planet in the habitable zone of another star. We can now say that other potentially habitable worlds, similar in size to our Earth, can exist, and it's no longer in the realm of science fiction. Kepler-186f is the outermost planet. It has a size that is within 10% of the size of Earth. It orbits its star every 130 days. So at this orbital distance, it receives about one-third of the stellar heat that Earth receives from the Sun. So this places the planet near the cooler edge of the star's habitable zone. 
So given theoretical models and what we observe in our solar system, it's likely that the planets that are the size of Earth, like Kepler-186f, are also composed of some proportion of, of iron, rock, and ice. Kepler-186f is special because we already know that a planet of this size and, and in the habitable zone is capable of supporting life as we know it. Now, Kepler-186f is located just under 500 light-years from Earth, which is right in our own backyard in cosmic terms. It's uh, very, very close. And I'm sure that we'll discover further planets in the habitable zone even closer. But before you get too excited about it, and as I did, and I started to think about the the distances involved, if you remember, I think I've mentioned it on previous episodes, the Voyager missions that have been travelling out beyond the solar system, as we now believe, for decades. And it's amazing that it's still a debate. Has it gone beyond the edge of our solar system? Because nobody quite knows where the final influence of our sun disappears completely. But I did my own calculations based on 500 light years and the speed uh, flying at 38,000 miles per hour. And I've worked out it would take Voyager another 17,500 years. If it was heading for Kepler-186f, it would take another 17,500 years to get there. So (sighs) sadly, the cosmos is pretty big. We're going to need Huge advances in technology before we can explore these worlds. And although Kepler-186f ticks some of the boxes, it's been discovered by the Kepler telescope, which is unable to actually measure the mass of a planet. And without measuring the mass, it's impossible to confirm the composition in terms of the, is it rocky? Is there oceans or liquid water or whatever, so it might take Hubble or other telescopes a bit of time to try and home in on this particular planet, but what a piece of news. That's just a, an amazing uh, an amazing start, and I'm sure over the coming years, I've said it's a bonanza over the next 18 months or so for space exploration, particularly the planets, but this whole uh, journey the journey of discovery to find exoplanets is really, for me, very, very exciting. So so in terms of this week's topic about dark skies and stargazing, the reason I wanted to mention it was, uh, I was thinking, is it just because I am a bit geeky and I like science and I like the uh, my mind wandering about the, the universe and the cosmos and the meaning of life, but it's also if you travel around Scotland, and particularly as a solo traveller, And if you look at the Passing Places Facebook group, we've had a little discussion today and photographs about sitting on benches. And I do spend a lot of time just letting the world pass me by, whether in a forest, waiting for 20 minutes, half an hour for wildlife to come to me, or sitting on a beach and watching a sunset. But I'm uh, I'm always interested in the fact that on average, just to make this simple, half the day is dark and half the day is light. So if you want to enjoy Scotland, then the hours of darkness are almost important, as important for me as daylight. And if you've got your eyes open and you look around you at the most spectacular views in Scotland, you'll notice that at least half your view is the sky. 
So it makes perfect sense for me to be outside the van in the hours of darkness to look at the sky. And one of the great things about the more rural areas of Scotland is without that horrible orange sodium lighting that we have throughout the central belt and the most built up areas in most countries there's artificial lighting, you suddenly realise that that cloud of artificial lighting, once that's gone, you've got an amazing view. And it takes maybe five, ten minutes for your eyes to fully adjust. And on a clear night, you can see the stars. And the sky above is often full of satellites tracking around and various planets in the sky. And it's a, given the age of technology we're living in now with mobile phones and the internet, I can easily, with two or three apps, work out where the planets are and when satellites are going over and when the International Space Station is due to be seen from the UK. So I really do like the the dark skies. I mentioned on the Facebook group today, I think on my own page on Facebook probably, that I'm really keen now that the observatory's open down at the Dumfries and Galloway Dark Skies Park. I'd love to go down there. Don't know how they'll cope with a Jack Russell after midnight, but I'd love to go down there and look through their telescopes and see some of the stars a little bit up closer, even the planets or whatever. So that's what I like to do when I'm out and about in Scotland is get to the more remote areas and get off site. Before I'd gone over to the Mullican Tire, I'd spent a bit of time looking at uh, campsite reviews online. And this is related to my frustration and annoyance about sodium lighting and street lighting generally. I started reading reviews about sites all across Scotland, trying to decide where I go east or west. And I came across a review from a, well, I don't know if it was a male or a female or family, whatever. And there was a line in there that said, I felt safe. This was on a campsite. And the context was that they had a, a barrier entry with a card. And that made this person feel safe. Now, the fear of crime is what really is the big problem in the UK and probably in other countries as well, this fear of crime. And when you hear about incidents of crime, it just adds to that fear. So I'm on these sites and they they have lighting all around, lighting up the pathways, toilet blocks fully illuminated all through the night and I just, I find that really, really difficult. I don't, I don't think it's uh, necessary. I think to be fair to people who use campsites and caravan parks, if you have children, I think safety is a big important issue, uh, particularly during the day. And if you are infirm or have a health issue, then there are other accessibility issues that are really relevant. But if you're, if you don't fall within either of those two groupings and you want to go and experience Scotland, do you really want to be, you know, in a some sort of sheltered environment when you could be 200 yards up the road and have a totally uh, unique experience? Before we leave the bank hall the weekend, I've also got a little bit of audio that I recorded on my way down on Saturday. There's a little spot in Glen Kinglass, which is just, if you're coming up the rest, be thankful, through Glen Crow, and you pass the big car park at the top of the Glen, you 
head over the brow of the hill and you come to a very sharp bend and a few hundred yards along on your left you'll see a, just a piece of waste ground really where people park and down to the left there's a little bridge it's called Butter Bridge so I stopped off at Butter Bridge and it's a very famous landmark in its own right because it was built as part of the reaction to the 1745 uprising in Scotland when the Jacobites were finally defeated the English army realised they would have to conquer the Highlands and General Wade and others built all these roads throughout the Highlands to try and maintain law and order so what used to be an old drover's track for Highlanders bringing their cattle down to markets in the central belt and further south they built a stone bridge over the river and it's a great little spot and a good day for a picnic, particularly out of season. I often stop there and just sit for five or ten minutes on the bridge. And I've got a little bit of audio for you, so have a listen to this. Well, you join me down at Butter Bridge, which is on the 83. Once you come up the rest to be thankful, the Glen which is Glen Crow after Arakar. You come down into Glen Kinglas and the Kinglas Water. And there's a little old bridge here. Dates back to the time of the Jacobites, after the Jacobite Rebellion of 1745. The military developed a road between Dumbarton and Inverary and when they came to the Kinglas Water they built this little stone bridge, which is really only a car width if you like and it's sitting here across the river very small river and no road either side these days but it's a nice little spot for a picnic on a sunny day and what a day it's been today we've left the Mullican Tyre and we've come down and it's a fantastic day the sun's out blue skies it'd be a great little place for a picnic so we're just heading back I'll tell you all about Mullican Tyre on the podcast but if you do come up the 83 to you can easily miss uh, Butter Bridge. It's a nice little place, nice little quiet spot that you can stop. And Caitlin, my daughter's down paddling in the river. She's taking her shoes off and uh, the water's probably freezing as it comes off the, the hill. So we left Point Sands this morning, uh, Easter Saturday morning. The site was full, what a transformation from the first few days when I arrived in Mill of Kintyre last week. Uh, everywhere's that bit more busy with Easter traffic. And I thought I'd come down on the Saturday rather than get caught up in the heavy traffic on Sunday or Monday. So I'm going to put the van back for a day or two and then I'll head off again on Monday or Tuesday. So as I say, we're just down by the river. Just wander down a little bit closer. Sure, there's a few little trout in here. As well as 12 year olds. Is it cold? Freezing. Don't take Skid in with you. If he wants to. Yeah, take his lead. You got him? There you go. Come on, Skid. Skid, come on. He'll come in, he'll come down. Don't do that. That's uh, Skid in the water. And he's not that keen, but he'll just paddle around. Bit of a, a breeze getting up there. So yeah, just see this bridge is 
250 years old certainly after the Jacobite Rebellion which ended in uh, defeat at the Battle of Culloden the anniversary of Culloden was just uh, the other day there on the 16th of April and the highlands were flooded with I suppose English or Unionist forces and they built these military roads they realised that was the only way to make progress through the highlands and the reason Butter Bridge was important prior to that time as well was the main staple was cattle rather than sheep and in the autumn people drove the cattle down from all the highland glens to markets in the central belt and further south so this was the a dangerous time because cattle rustlers were around you've heard me on previous podcast episodes talk about uh, the McGregors Rob Roy McGregor so they were violent times back in the 18th century and this is just a beautiful little spot I think it's really annoying me just looking over there's a somebody said a bonfire in the grass which when it's rough pasture that isn't a great problem but they've left a family sized disposable barbecue tin foil thing lying in the middle of the fire pit which is just so so wrong so lazy and that's what happens when you get to Easter time and at the holidays you get a lot of people who regularly don't visit the countryside but you can see the evidence of them in terms of their litter so I'm joined here with uh, Caitlin what do you think of Butter Bridge? Nice. Nice in what way? <laughs> I don't know. Your feet cold? Yes. How cold? Freezing cold. Did, there was no trout in there to tickle your toes? No. Not oh. sure that Skid liked it either, did he? No. No? He sort of wrapped around your legs, see? Skid, come on. Maybe we should have had a picnic and sat here for a wee while. Uh-huh. That might have been quite nice. Do you have anything in the van? On a sunny day. Do we have anything in the van? Well, I'm sure we could rustle something up. But uh, we've got to get the van back before it's too late as well. So Sorry. We should, uh, we should head off. You get your feet dry and then we'll leave in the next 10-15 minutes, yeah? Yeah? Fine. Okay. You sense enthusiasm in her voice there. So that's a little secret gem that most people miss on their way through. They're faced with a big, long, quite wide uh, road that you can get up to 16 beyond if you want to break the speed limit. But before you do that, just pull into that uh, area and have a little 15 minute stop or even a picnic on a good day and enjoy the atmosphere at Butterbridge. So if you were on the Passing Places Facebook group in recent days, you probably saw the day that I mentioned the possibility of the Northern Lights. I have various apps on my phone as well as on my computer at home where I track almost live from the spaceships that are monitoring the sun. I can track when the Northern Lights are likely to be visible in the the UK or probably more correctly on the north coast of Scotland. If we're very lucky, 
you get them further south. So there was a, a really good forecast for the Northern Lights, which then started to dissipate as the day went on. And by evening it became uh, less likely that there'd be any Northern Lights, as well as cloud cover and fog was coming in on the East Coast, as well as the island of Orkney was getting covered in fog. But as it turned out, there was one or two good sightings in Aberdeenshire and over in the Western Isles. And there's a photograph from Croft 23, which is posted on the Passing Places Facebook group. So some people did see the Northern Lights. So this is one of my absolute uh, determinations that I'll get to see the Northern Lights again. It's many, many years since I had a proper display on the North Coast. And the have spent, I think, five, six years now monitoring the Northern Lights almost on a daily basis. I have yet to be in the right place at the right time, so I live in hope. So I hope if you do visit Scotland, you take advantage of the fact that we have very low light pollution in many of our rural areas. And if you go off onto the islands, you'll see fantastic views of the sky. If the weather clears, that's the big downside, is we have so many cloudy, wet days that... It's just great to even get the chance to see the sky. But if you happen to be in a place where there's no light pollution, you've got a fantastic opportunity to really enjoy that night sky. And even less chance, if you look at the number of days the Northern Lights are actually, number of nights the Northern Lights are visible. That's why it's such a, a needle in a haystack for me to actually get to see the Northern Lights. The real way to do it is to permanently move to the north coast or to the islands and it become a possibility every year that you just step outside and have a look. And my final point about stepping outside and going back to sodium lighting and campsites, when I was out watching the International Space Station travel over the Point Sands campsite, I'm very conscious if you're on a campsite that for a, a single guy to be standing out in the middle of the night, well, after the hours of darkness, is uh, odd behaviour and a woman and her daughter were on their way to the toilet block and I felt the absolute need to explain myself because I was just standing there in the semi-darkness trying to get away from the the light that was on the uh, track near where the vans were parked and I said to her, that's the International Space Station tracking over and she was delighted, her daughter was excited and they went back to the van to get the the rest of the family out for a look. So it's it's sad, this whole thing about the darkness being a, a fear factor for people. When I enjoy being in a wild camping situation, I can go out to any time during the night and set my cameras up, get the tripod out, do some time-lapse photography. I can do all sorts of things. And I just can't do that on a campsite. It's not practical because you would be seen as being very odd as well as potentially upsetting people in terms of their privacy or the hours of darkness equate to silence as well. So it's just a little bit frustrating for me that so many people visit Scotland and never put their head skywards and have a look. And the real way, if you want to really enjoy the the nightscape, the, the dark skies, the, the stargazing, is get off grid and... Get yourself to a place when you can, where you can really spend a few hours, maybe have a, a wee power nap during the day, if it's going to be a clear sky, and go out during the night and just 
lie down on your back and watch the stars for a few hours. Anyway, that's my tip for how you might enjoy Scotland from a different perspective. And I'll bring this episode to a close. And as I say every week, if you ever visit Scotland and Glenn Moyer's in my mind, I'll catch up with Glenn once he's clocked up a week or two of his visit. Uh, I'll catch up with him somewhere in Scotland. But if you're ever in Scotland, I hope I can bump into you somewhere in your travels. And in the meantime, stay safe and I'll play out with Mary Green's music or composition, Passing Places. Thank you. <laughs>